Welcome back to the Mandarin Blueprint Podcast. My name is Phil Crimmins. This is podcast number 169, and it's an important podcast because we have a big announcement. After releasing it to the Lifetime members and running a special sale to the Full Bundle members, we have now released the Upper Intermediate and Advanced course to all uh, monthly and annual subscribers of Mandarin Blueprint, which means that it's out. It is now officially released to anybody who starts a new subscription. You'll see it in your course library. And uh, this has just been a long time coming, and we're very happy to finally have the 3,050-character course. And of course, the characters are just sort of your the trunk of the tree, and then there's loads of branches that go out into uh, high-frequency vocabulary. There's the materials for 11,800 words in the in the course, although that's still somewhat being built out, but certainly the trunk of the tree is there. And uh, this has been a dream of ours for many years, so we're very excited. And we're uh, so grateful to everyone in the Mandarin Blueprint community for your support over the years. And of course, the quality of the program would never be as good if we didn't have all these submissions of excellent questions, scene shares, mnemonic scene shares, mnemonic prop suggestions, mnemonic actor suggestions, mnemonic set suggestions. These things are, there are 15,000 of them or so comments that have been left on the program itself. And that's to say nothing of the community forum and all the emails that we get. And of course, everything we cover in the podcast, it's just uh, amazing that we made this thing and we hoped that people would like it. We hoped that people would find value in it. And not only did you find so much value in it, you're contributing to the value. And it's just something that we are forever grateful for. And I, you know, I'm so excited for the future of Mandarin Blueprint. We're working on a bunch of new awesome things right now. We're actually, uh, we've been talking about this immersion course that we're building, which we are working on, but we've actually decided to first put in a course that's like really delving into the research behind the construction of daily habits. And the reason why is because, I mean, we talk about habit building in the course a bit, but when you're talking about a big project like Chinese and doing something consistently over, you know, many years, so it's not even just 365 days, it's like thousands of days in all likelihood. Uh, and really longer than that, because, you know, I've been studying Chinese since 2013, you know, about uh, nine years now almost, which is crazy. And I'm still making sure that every day I have routines that give me access to Chinese. Now, building that automaticity in your habits is something that is so essential to learning any new skill, but particularly one as large as Chinese. And there's a bunch of research that has come out, a bunch of new materials that are coming out regarding how to best uh, ritualize your day, how to best uh, deal with what's called limbic friction, which is essentially, I like to think of it as the langui, the langui, which is uh, in Chinese, they'll call almost anything that holds you back as a person or that you're, you're addicted to or that is otherwise giving you trouble and is something that is starting to identify with your character, a gui. For example, a langui is somebody who's just really lazy all the time because lan means lazy. So a langui is a lazy ghost. Gui is a ghost. And, uh, you know, you think, what else is there? Well, there's a dan xiao gui. Dan xiao gui is a, uh, that's a coward, essentially, somebody who has their dan, which is their courage, their guts, uh, is xiao. It's small. So they're a dan xiao gui. They're, they're, they're overcome by anxiety. The ghosts of their past 
cause them to feel anxious with like every situation that they're in and all the fear that they have. And even laziness. It's like laziness is to some degree a ghost of your past. It's a specter from the past that has unfinished business. Like Chinese is very wise a lot of times. And, um, you know, so there's this idea that, okay, you're, you're lazy. Well, why are you being lazy? Well, it's ultimately it kind of comes down to fear, fear of being bored, fear of missing out in the fun of life. You know, oh, you're working all the time. You never have fun. And it's like, okay, sure. So this is what, you know, the scientific li literature would call limbic friction. But if you sort of anthropomorphize it, it's like this little guy in your in your brain who's just like the the lazy ghost and another one that's sort of the the fear anxiety ghost and they're just sort of there and really they have good intentions because they just don't want you to be bored they don't want you to miss out on life um, but on the other hand they can hold you back from other things that you want you know it's like it's not like all you want is just pleasure in life or all you want is just to not be bored. Like there are things, you know, obviously we all know that out of boredom can come creativity and we all know that uh, out of um, hard work can come great fruits of your labor. So like how do you deal with your lan gui and your dan xiao gui? Um, and just by the way, other ones, like for example, uh, a, um, a jiu gui. That's a somebody who's addicted to alcohol. Like so like the the specter of alcohol is like it's a ghost in their system and like they can't Yeah, so I just I love how Chinese sort of takes this thing and says, Okay, this is a ghost. It's a thing that isn't actually related to the present and what you have to do now, but it's still, you know, despite it being dead in a way, it's still living in the present you know, like a ghost, and it's and it's not really totally there, it's sort of a specter, but it's it's there in your mind, and I just, I love that kind of metaphor for these things that hold you back. So, this is all just to say that we're building out this habit-building course first, um, because it's going to be something that is really helpful to making sure that your daily kind of ritual is that which supports Chinese and quells that limbic friction, quells, you know, your language and your dan xiao gui. All right. So uh, with that in mind, just first, again, thank you, everybody. This is a big moment uh, in Mandarin Blueprint history to have released the advanced course. And, you know, I've mentioned this before, but we're going to be releasing a new level's worth of the sentences uh, that go along with the new vocabulary that's unlocked uh, per week. Now, part of the reason that we're going to you know do that on a weekly basis and we will get it done, but we still release the course is because when you get into the advanced course, you know, there is definitely nothing wrong with looking at every single sentence from the Mandarin Blueprint method and maybe even putting every single sentence from the Mandarin Blueprint method into your SRS flashcards. That's perfectly fine. Um, however, at a certain point, it's better to get a wider context. You want to have, you know, articles or uh, dialogues or graded readers or just native content as you get more advanced. And so while we want them there, we want there to always be the surgical precision of a Mandarin Blueprint sentence that shows you a usage of a particular word, um, you know, up to about 11,800 words or so. Uh, it's it's not necessary to go through all of them uh, because once you get to 3,000 
uh, 50 characters, you're going to recognize 99.4% of the characters you see in any text, regardless of, unless it's, of course, you know, a super specialized text. But, um, you know, for the most part, even like your average news story, you're going to recognize most of the characters. Now, how exactly they're putting together with words and combining, there'll be a lot of new stuff there. But the context is wide enough that you can go, okay, I'm reading about uh, an event that happened in Beijing yesterday, and there was an accident, and I'm reading about the, you know, the outcome of the accident, or I'm reading about the COVID outbreak in Xi'an or something like that. The context of the article is more helpful than the specificity of the sentence by itself on the Mandarin Blueprint platform at some point. Exactly when this happens is hard to say, you know, somewhere between the intermediate course and the end of the advanced course, but we still want it there anyway. So we're going to be releasing about at a general pace of one level per week. I mean, we that's a pretty fast pace, actually, because sometimes there are you know, 350 to 400 sentences in a level. So, you know, all of them have to be written. All of them have to be checked. All of them have to be recorded. All of them have to be checked for top-down words. So, you know, uh, hopefully we'll be able to maintain that pace. However, I think that we can. We have a good team on it at the moment. So we'll see. It's a challenge. We'll, we'll see if we can rise to the challenge. But uh, the point is that the course is out and we will be continuing to get out more content with it. And heck, if you were able to get ahead of us, like suppose you started the advanced course at level 59 today, we've released through level 63 of the sentences. And if so, we release one a week. If you were able to like catch up with us and pass us, that, like you're not going to regret it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because you're going to be doing, you're going to be getting so much new knowledge per day. And so um, anyway, this is an exciting time. I'm really curious to see how people do with the advanced course and the intermediate course. Please let us know uh, when you get through the, say, the upper intermediate course or when you get through the advanced course. Uh, it's a really exciting time. So with that in mind, let's go into this week's comments and emails. First, we have one from Liana uh, uh, Piggio, Piggio, perhaps. Um, she says... Is it a good idea to do a flashcard review right after a session of lessons? I tend to do a review just after I stop lessons as a way to remember what I just learned. But given the way flashcards expect you to wait a day before a review, maybe it is better to wait a day to test my memory. Basically, I review them at the start of the day and at the end of the day whenever I'm done with lessons for today. I don't know if this is a good idea or not. Yeah, this is a good question. So certainly we have the element in Traverse flashcards where you're adding cards to your reviews. It's like the learn mode where you're deciding, okay, what things go into my review. And then I think, yes, it is a good idea at that point to get your reviews down to zero. So here's how a day might look. You, you go through... And uh, the first thing you do in your day is like overnight, like let's just say, you know, you're waking up in the morning, you go do your flashcards. Well, overnight, some new review flashcards accumulated, right? So do those first. Start your day with a review. That kind of warms up your brain too. It kind of gets your brain into the Chinese mode of thinking. Then you learn some new stuff on the course platform for however long, 30 minutes, an hour, however long it is. And then at, at, when you finish that learning step, you then add the cards to your reviews in Traverse. And then, uh, and you can also add cards to reviews in Traverse while you're learning. That's, you know, a way to do it efficiently. Uh, it's up to you. But, you know, if you're doing it on your computer, it's a particularly useful for this. Although you could also have it open on your phone while you're doing the uh, uh, lessons on the course platform on your computer. But uh, the point is you'll then 
add those cards to your reviews, and then do them immediately. So you started your, you started your um, study session finishing your reviews that accumulated overnight. You then do a learning section where you add car- new cards to be reviewed. And at the end of that session, you learn you review those cards that you just added. And that's fine because then they will come up again in about a day. So it's perfectly fine to have the learning and then the quick 10 minutes later review of what you just learned. That's actually the best way to do it. So, uh, And then uh, as you go through your day, what's nice about Traverse is that the cards come up as review cards when they're due, not every 24 hours. So some apps do it so that it's on the 24 hour cycle that like you get it down to zero and then it stays zero until a certain point in the 24 hour cycle. And then all the cards come due at the same time. Uh, Traverse doesn't do it like that. Like the hour that it's due is the hour it appears, which is nice because it means that throughout your day, you can find little moments and go, Oh, there's a, you know, there's five more flashcards. Let's, let's finish them up. There's a, okay. There's 20 more flashcards that accumulated over the afternoon when I was working. Uh, let me just do those 20 new flashcards. You know, as you get the idea, you can do them throughout the day. And what that does is it keeps Chinese sort of burning a little bit throughout the day. You, you put the, you get it boiling in the morning, you get the water boiling and you don't let the heat uh, go off entirely and go back to being cold. You keep adding heat throughout the day to keep the Chinese brain sort of warm and close to boiling, right? Uh, that's a Katsumoto <laughs> analogy there from all Japanese all the time. So yeah, anyway, that's uh, my recommendation and hopefully you'll find that helpful. Next, we have a comment from Andy Williams in the community. He says, hi, I am sampling your course. I'm particularly interested in the pronunciation section. I've tried a number of methods to learn Chinese. I am currently working with a private teacher using the textbook Integrated Chinese. Based upon my experience, I think it's pretty good. A big thing I find lacking from online courses like yours is the lack of feedback you get from a private teacher. Please comment on this. Also, please give me your thoughts about how I can use your course to supplement my study with a private teacher. Well, yeah, of course, you know, an online methodology for learning characters and getting you to comprehensible input isn't specifically working with a private tutor. However, I would argue that working with a private tutor is not something you should do until you've gotten a lot of comprehensible input. And the reason for this is that it's actually very difficult to undo bad pronunciation practices. So what I said there was that when I'm speaking Chinese, my pronunciation still has a little bit of an issue. And it's because I built up so many bad habits in the early days because I just was kind of going without a map uh, to learn Chinese. And so I was just trying stuff and being like, uh, you know, ni hao, ni shi zhongguo ren ma, like just sort of saying things terribly as opposed to ni hao, ni shi zhongguo ren ma. Uh, And just (laughs) it's the kind of thing that you you can – ingrain bad habits so much that even years and years later you have trouble undoing them and there's no rush to speak because the natural process of comprehensible input is such that when there's enough of it and it builds up and you go okay i understood this i understood that i understood this eventually you just you want to say something you'll, you'll be by yourself and you'll just be like oh what Right, you'll just you'll just have something to say, and you're gonna want to say it, and you're gonna want to find a teacher, and that's the point where you want to find a language partner or a teacher when you're bursting with desire to speak. Until then, 
you, you practice your pronunciation for sure. You know, you can do your drills and go, okay, I'm going to do my second tone, third tone drills. Right. That, that type of thing, whatever you're going to do. But the point is you don't want to speak before you're ready. And this is not common advice. I get this, but this is the advice of Dr. Stephen Krashen. It's the advice of Steve Kaufman. It's the advice of Katsumoto. It's the advice of Matt versus Japan. If you've ever seen his stuff, he's an incredible Japanese speaker. And like, they all give the same advice, which is that it's all about input. It's all about input. Output is a natural result of comprehensible input. So what we do is we're trying to make the journey from nothing to comprehensible input as efficient as possible. That's what the Mandarin Blueprint Method is all about. We're trying to teach you individual characters so that you can learn high-frequency words so that you can use those words in sentences so that you have this whole other realm of comp comprehensible input called reading available. If you only have listening, you're only getting you know half of the uh, what can help you learn uh, and get input. You know, you're listening and reading. Now, with a language like French or Spanish, you can start reading very early on day one. You can start reading. You learn a few principles about how the um, uh, the the spelling works and how you pronounce certain things. I mean, Spanish, geez, like they don't even have spelling bees in Spanish because everything is cl very clear how it's pronounced. There's a direct connection between how it's pronounced and how it's spelled. Uh, you know, in English, we have these spelling bees because English has so many root languages that you can, you know, have wild spellings for different pronunciations. Uh, and, you know, Spanish speakers just laugh because they don't have to do that. So my point is that with that, with Spanish, you can start reading and listening on essentially the same time, effectively the same time. Whereas Chinese, you can't, but the Mandarin Blueprint Method is the most efficient way to learn how to read and get comprehensible input that way. And then when you have comprehensible input from reading, it makes the listening comprehensible input easier because either you've seen it before and then you can therefore understand it when it's listened to, or when you're watching something, you can read the subtitles and listen and get both of them working together to reach your understanding. And then eventually you can focus on your pure listening, but it's easier to go from, uh, like no pure listening to understandable pure listening if you've gone through this period of getting lots of reading comprehension. So the point is comprehensible input is the key. It is the guiding light of language acquisition. And so if you can get that comprehensible input to a level where you are bursting to speak, that is when you should speak. Now, we did also uh, make a couple of lessons that I already sent to Andy about the role of a tutor. Uh, we have a blog post all about it, um, and we have uh, a couple lessons at the end of Pronunciation Mastery in Unit 10. Uh, but again, I really think that it is possible to speak too early and that this is a mistake. So uh, with that in mind, hopefully that uh, bit of feedback will help Andy along his journey. Annette Bicknell on level 24 complete. She says, for some reason, the dialogues are easier to understand than the paragraphs, perhaps because each response relies on the context of the previous said statement. I don't know. I just find it curious. Yeah, this is interesting. So she's referring to the phase four longer form bits of content, which include dialogues, opinions, and stories. So the short stories and the opinions, especially the opinion pieces, I think can be quite difficult because you're not, you only have the context of this person who's just started saying their opinion and yeah, they might establish their, what they're talking about and whatever. But when you have a back and forth dialogue, the amount of time that you actually have to 
hold a thought together is as long as it takes to say like, Hey, what are you doing today? Or, um, wow, that guy stole your bike. How, how do you feel about that? Right. Just whatever it is that is back and forth is relatively short. So the context is easier to understand. It's like, what's the context of what you're saying? Well, what they said right above, whereas in an opinion piece, the context of what is said in sentence five might come from sentence two, right? So it's like, they're not always perfectly connected. And so this is an interesting point, but of course I, you know, told Annette about this and Annette said, you know, it's actually a good challenge to see, you know, both of those sides of it. So this is a good observation from Annette. And yeah, like uh, maybe this should tell you that when you're looking for uh, your immersion content in the early days, dialogues can maybe be a little bit easier to grasp. So maybe something like a comic book can be easier than uh, something like, you know, a, a graded reader, a short story or something. But um, that said, you're going to want to be able to use all of it. So uh, don't like say, well, I refuse to <laughs> look at any opinion pieces just because I'm too early. You know, you want to get good at it too. So uh, that would be my recommendation there. And thanks to Annette for pointing out that distinction. Next, we have Ann Giles on Vocab Unlocked from 次,这次,那次,一次,上次,下次,下次见,几次,每一次。So, is essentially a measure word for times. Like, I saw her two times. 我看她两次。我看到她两次, right? Wish I had a screenshot of my face the first time one of my online teachers said something like this. Have I got the characters and the order correct? 下次再说那个第一个词。So,下次再说那个第一个词. There's nothing wrong with the grammar of that. Let's see here. One more time again. Say the first word. Yeah, it's not. 下次 means next time. So this would be next time, say again. But like 下次 has the feeling of like, see you next time. Like it's it's a, as if you're going to be in some situation and you're going to go away from it for a while. And then there will be another time. Like uh, I go to the movies every week on Friday or something. So see you next time would mean next Friday, right? So you wouldn't tend to say 下次 as in say it again. Now you might say 再说一次。再说一次. That would mean again say one time. 再说一次, right? So 下次再说, uh, would mean like say it next let's let's say it again next time or like next time we meet. Now maybe that's what your tutor was saying. Um I suppose, but what you translated was one more time again say that first word. And yeah, say that first word is fine. 说那个第一个词, you know, like that would be fine. Um, but uh, yes, yeah, 下次, in this case, it would be uh, more like 再说那个第一个词一次, or right? So that would probably be it. And Giles on Vocab Unlocked from 放, 放下, 放心, 放学. Would this be Don't Worry, Relax? I mean, yeah, essentially, like, um, you know, maybe you would say because uh, is just not worried, right? So really, you know, in a way, is the definition of although I suppose you could just be not worried and there wasn't anything that you were like when you say is like is to pull up so it's like you're pulling up your heart 
and that's worried or anxious. Danxin. So you fang, you put your heart down. Fang xin is like to uh, relax, basically, right? And um, so I would say bie danxin, fang xin uh, would be a little bit better. Bie, which means don't, as opposed to bu danxin. Um, and, you know, obviously, if you say bie danxin, uh, that's kind of the same thing. So you probably wouldn't say both of them, but you know, on the other hand, uh, it's possible. Yeah. You'd say, uh, don't worry, relax. You know? So, uh, yeah. Bie danxin, bie. Next we have Richard Krauss on vocab unlocked from Lun. He says, although the words are quite easy, I can't quite understand the implied meaning of ni lai, wo bu qu jie ni, ni zao, bu lun feng da yu da, wo dou qu song ni. Right, so the so I like this sentence. It says, "If you come, I will not pick you up." One of the meanings of "jie" is to pick up somebody, like at the airport, like "我在机场接你." Right, uh, and so that's again picking up. So the person has arrived at the airport, and now you're they're gonna you're gonna pick them up in your car. Right now, the next sentence is "你走，不论风大雨大." So Regardless of how terrible the weather is, basically how uh, how big the wind, how big the rain, you know, 风大雨大，我都去送你. So they're saying, regardless of how, if you're leaving, if you're leaving, regardless of how bad the weather is, I will drop you off at you know wherever you're going, right? And so the implied meaning here is that this person is not a fan of the, the person they're talking about, right? So Because they're basically saying, if you come here, I'm not going to come get you. And if you're leaving, I'll make sure you get out of here, right? So like this person is not a fan of the person they're talking to. <laughs> so that's the implied meaning there. Andy Williams on problem initial, initials ZHCHSH and R overview. So he says, I have a few questions. Should the tongue touch the roof of the mouth? When saying one of these finals, I assume the position or initials, I should say, I assume the position described is the starting point. What is the end point of the tongue? What happens to the tongue as the sound is being pronounced? Thanks, Andy. So yeah, so this is an interesting one. So these ZH, CH, SH, and R, ZH and CH, the tongue will tap the, the roof of the mouth because it needs to do so in order to create the J and the CH sound. So J, J. The tongue will touch the top of the uh, the roof of the mouth, or like ju or ju or ja, right? All of those it's going to touch the roof of the mouth, but it doesn't need to move after that. Um, so it'll kind of touch it briefly and then stay in its position. If I say ju ju, it will touch the roof of the mouth and then uh, stay just floating right below it. And then in the case of shu and zhu, there's no need to actually uh, touch the roof of the mouth at any point. It's all just um, just just below, floating just below the roof of the mouth. You, know, you pull your tongue back, and it's not. It doesn't actually have to. It's not like you're going like while still touching it. You can't even really do it. It's just just below the roof of the mouth, the tip of the tongue, and uh, you know you speak through it. And uh, yeah, and it was funny. I he asked about tool uh, later. And I was saying yes, the that does touch the tip of your that does touch the roof of your mouth. The tip of, the tip of the tongue does touch the roof of the mouth. But he thought I meant like, and it stays there. And no, it's briefly. It's just like do do, just for a moment. 
but you don't need to like the tongue is obviously moving to touch the roof of the mouth and then coming back. So there's movement, but it's not like it falls back into place. It's still folded up, you know, the whole time. As an example. Next, we have William Shepard on Vocab Unlocked from Chang. He says, it's probably best not to search Xian Chang in Google. It's pretty graphic. And this is a good point. <laughs> he makes a good point here. A Xian Chang can be the scene of like an accident, right? So it's that, and actually this is a good way to understand what Xian Chang is. So Xian is the kind of general word for present reality, like things that are really happening. And then the Chang is the location, right? Like the, the actual piece of land that it happened on, right? So a Xian Chang is like the the scene of a crime or the scene of an accident. So yeah, depending on what it is, you know, obviously there can be a scene of something that, you know, isn't graphic, but many things can be graphic. So thanks for William for the heads up, but also take this point to recognize that of course, uh, things can be, that can be helpful to understanding what Xianjiang means. Next, we have John McCann on the drawbacks of having bad pronunciation. John says, yes, I agree with Michael McElliott. I'm rebooting from the beginning with pronunciation revision. You are both excellent speakers. What lured me to the course was a brief video of Luke, who I thought was a Chinese Buddhist monk. You both speak with such perfect Beijing or accents that reviewing pronunciation is not a waste of time, especially since I'm concurrently studying French, which has its own pronunciation issues and slurs words together. But studying the two languages at the same time presents no problems. This is fun, and I love Traverse. It's so much easier to use than the previous flashcard software. Thanks for making the switch. Yeah, so I completely agree with this, John. It's always a good idea to go back and practice your pronunciation because especially if you're studying two languages at the same time. But in the case of Chinese, there's not that many overall syllables, but many of them are quite hard to say. So just going over the principles of how to, where to put your tongue and how to uh, use your different cavities together, it can really help. And then, of course, you're just going to have constant opportunities to practice the knowledge. So you just want to make sure that the knowledge is very clearly in your head so that when you later, you know, add more characters, add more words and all this stuff, that you're able to, you know, quite easily uh, succeed. So yeah, that's awesome stuff. Michael Malidi on simple final E. Really enjoying the course. I have a question though. I cannot differentiate between the sounds of and any advice. So, you know, it's an interesting thing when people will make a comment like this, where they're just like, I can't hear something because it's just a matter of being early, right? It's just you're early in the process of learning Chinese and these are new sounds to you. So, um, of course, ch doesn't have the entire sound in it or so that that sound that is in the simple final E when it has a tone is, you know, it's it's not in ch Right, so if I'm saying chu fan, I'm not saying chu fan, right? Like it's like I was obviously exaggerating it there, but like, um, but if I say kai chu chu chu, like that extra uh, uh is there, and once you get used to it, you can clearly hear it. Like to me, there's no problem hearing those two at all. But it's just because you're not used to hearing either of these sounds that much. So the more you use simple final e in different contexts, not just in chu, but also in 
or or um, or all these different words that use the simple final e. right? You know, there's lots of them. right? Like that's a very common word you'll use with the uh, simple final e. Once you get used to that, then hearing you'll be able to tell when it's not there because it's such a long diphthong. Right, you know, it's just quite long. Next, we have Michaela Ellison on problem initials overview. She says, "Yes, I'm refinding lots of pearls of wisdom to think about as I practice the graded reading content from phase four. Rewatching this course should be a requirement for the later phases of the foundation course. Of course, that may slow people down more than they would like, but no, I agree, Michaela. We might even." put a strong recommendation for people to do that uh, in perhaps phase four, phase five. And uh, yeah, th so of course, Michaela is referring to going back and doing the pronunciation mastery course again, which is, you know, as we talked about with John earlier, such a great idea. It's just so smart, like just to go back and make sure you're getting all those principles down. Good stuff. Next, we have Michaela Ellison again on xia ke in context. She says, zhou yi. 到周三，我们四点半才下课，但是别的时间我们三点就下课了。Does the use of 才 and 周 here relate to the comparison of late versus early? Yes, it does. So I, if I wanted to change the sentence to mean Monday through Wednesday we get out of class at three, but the rest of the time we don't get out until 4:30, then I would need to switch the placement of 周 and 才, not just the time. Yeah, that's correct. Yep, yep, that's correct. And then let's see here. For example, 周一到周三,我们三点就下班. She switched to 下班 there, but yeah, like 下班下课, they're kind of similar concepts. 下班 is to get off work. 下课 is to get off of, uh, uh, get out of class. 但是别的时间,我们四点半才下课了. I assume I could also start the sentence with 从... Yeah, you could say 从周一到周三, that'd be fine. Um, and yeah, like basically you got it. 才 and 周 can indicate that the perception of the speaker is that it is either early, 周, or late, 才. And Giles on Vocab Unlocked from 小, 搞笑, and 开玩笑. When I describe my 中国客人 as only wanting to speak English, not Chinese, an overstatement, could I be said to be trying to xiao in order to be xiao. might I infer that the person had fun wire? I have wondered how to say I had fun. Would it be wire? Thanks if you can help. So there's a, there's some of this that's uh, correct. I mean, sure, you're trying to xiao if you're saying something that's not actually true, you know, it's one of the ways to make a joke. And then, you know, xiao is one of the ways to refer to uh, someone as being funny. It's an adjective for funny. And uh, usually xiao is some somebody who is intentionally funny, right? So it's like they can make jokes or, you know, they gao has a active feeling to it because gao means to do or or deal with something or get something done. And so to xiao has a more sense of a intentional, like I'm telling a joke or something. So yes, xiao fits there. Um, now, when it comes to Hawar, Hawar describes a um, situation uh, or it describes maybe your experience of a person, but Hawar is not a feeling in the same way. Like, so 
if you, you might say, oh, that person is really Halwar, which just means it's fun. They're fun to hang out with or whatever. Uh, or this game is really Halwar. You're describing the game as being fun, but it's not a feeling in that sense. You know, like I'm feeling fun. I mean, I, I guess you could say that in English, that, but it's a little bit weird. You would say, uh, if you wanted to say I had fun, you would just say, Wohan Kaisin. Uh, which is, is like saying I'm happy, but like it's another way because kaishin is like kind of the state of uh, having an open heart and that's how you feel when you're having fun. Uh, and so that's why there's a lot of different words for happiness in Chinese because like many of them are kind of trying to get across like a different kind of slice of happiness, you know. And so kaishin is the one that most associates with the idea of I had fun. So, yeah, if you wanted to say uh, I had fun, you just say wohan kaishin. That's fine. Makai Albert on Daozi in context. There's a sentence. Is there a construction we can look at pertaining to in the future? At first glance, I'd read it as one caught sight of rather than as soon as. So, yeah, it's um, the, the construction here is which means, uh, you know, as soon as thing that comes after e then thing that comes after Jill. So, uh, so as soon as seeing the child um, carrying the knife, so the, the thing that happened as a result of that is that they became anxious or scared, right? So uh, it's that's the construction there you want to look for. Michaela Ellison on which is a short uh, opinion story thing in phase four. Uh, so the sentence is, Is the use of nayo here similar to the usage for nar in context from level 20 to express negation? So the second half of the sentence would be translated to something like, where is the time to go on a date? Or there's no time to go on a date. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. Um, you know, you know, you could say, that'd be fine too. Uh, is just the general question word for either which or where. And, you know, there essentially, it's an open question that revolves around one of those two, which or where. And so like, um, you know, where's the time to go on a date? It's just sort of a rhetorical flair to say, I don't have time <laughs> for that. Next, we have Rick Angeland on make on vocab unlocked from fang, fang xia, fang xin, fang xue. Does fang xue differ in meaning from xia ke and xia xue? Well, first of all, I don't really ever hear anybody say xia xue. Uh, so we'll take that out for a second. But the difference between fang xue and xia ke is that xia ke refers to an individual class, and you might have many classes in the day, whereas fang xue is the time that you get out of school. And like, you know, for example, uh, across the street from my house, there's a, a kindergarten from my apartment complex, there's a kindergarten, and the outside there's a sign that says, you know, kai xue shi jian, ba dian, and then fang xue shi jian, shi qi dian ban. Uh, so 5.30 p.m. is when they feng shui, when they get out of school, right? So feng shui is for the day, getting out of school for the day, whereas xia ke is just for that particular class. Lin Ford on vocab boost for ren ke, ren de, dong de, qu de. Here's a sentence. 
不懂得的问题，一定要把它搞清楚、明白才行。I'm having trouble understanding what 才行 is in this sentence. I keep going over it, and it just seems weird placement doesn't make sense to me. So, 不懂得的问题 Okay, there's your there's your subject thing questions that you don't understand. 一定要把它搞得清楚明白 You must come to understand them clearly. You must and 搞得 so it's like you must intentionally understand them clearly. 才行 like and then you'll finally get it. Like then it's okay, right? So. There's another way to to think of this. I think we have a um, a, uh, a a a grammar article on Jiu Tai, and really here the only difference uh, is instead of Jiu here we have Eding Yao, which is just a more emphatic way of saying like you certainly you certainly must right. But Jiu Ba Ta Gao De Qing Chu Ming Bai Tai Xing would make would that make more sense, Lin? So. We know this structure, which is zhiyou, one so only one method, tai, and then whatever is the desired result. In this case, xing just means okay until it's okay, or tai kei, tai xing, right? So it's like tai xing is just a way of saying like it, it's this is only this method of understanding it clearly. Can solve the problem, right? So of non-understood questions. So questions you don't understand or problems you don't understand,、uh, you first have to intentionally come to. You must intentionally find the truth of it clearly, Tai Xing, and to get to get it to be a. Question that you do understand. Sorry, it's really hard to explain this stuff because it's just it's just a feeling. <laughs> like this sentence is perfectly makes makes perfect sense to me. It's just like trying to ex- break it down and explain it is tough.、Um, but yeah, like the the、um, tie is saying that everything that came before was the only method that could reach Xing, right? So if you want to get to the point where you understand the question, which is the the implication of Xing, so like 不懂的不懂得的问题 ，so like that's the implication is you'd like to 懂得 that 问题 instead of 不懂得问题 right? So,、uh, in order to get to 行 you have to do, you know, 一定要把它搞得清楚明白才行 Like so, that's、um, hopefully that's managed to get across the idea. Sorry, like I say, these are things, these are patterns that I've seen so much in my Chinese time that like sometimes actually explaining them is quite difficult. But that's just what that should tell you is that a lot of times, you know, trying to puzzle it out doesn't、uh, doesn't really help. But you know, hey, we're here, so the fact that you're able to ask us,、uh, but yeah, like it's essentially that. It's just you've got this. You've got this、um, uh, method for going from not understanding a problem to understanding the problem, and that's from the speaker's perspective the only method. So, you know, they're saying, "Zhuo or 一定要把它搞得清楚明白才 and then the desired result, which in this case is just 行 Ah,、uh, so hopefully that helps a little bit. Jeff Johnson on 开会 in context. 一会儿 throws me off. 
So I looked up the lesson where you talked about R being added to the end, but that didn't send uh, didn't send that didn't shed a lot of light on this. I'm not really sure what the R is doing there or how E works here. So the R is not really that important other than the fact that this is just how most people pronounce this particular uh, measure word. So uh, a moment is a hui, right? Or a hui. And so yi hui means one moment or essentially in a bit. So 我们一会儿见. 我一会儿告诉你, right? In a, I'll tell you in a bit. It's like, it's just a bit. That's all it is. And so one bit of time, right? Like that's what hui is. Yi hui. 我一会告诉你. And sometimes people will leave out the R, but in China, most people say yi huar. Yi huar. Dai huar jian. Wo, uh, you know, which dai huar jian is like saying, uh, dai yi huar. You leave out the measure word. So, deng dai yi huar jian mian is the longer version of dai huar jian, right? So, deng uh, dai is the formal word for wait. Deng dai yi huar, for a moment or for a bit, jian mian, see each other. And that just gets shortened down to dai huar jian. Or yi huar, yi huar. Woman gong zuo yi huar. We'll work for a while, a bit, right? Gong zuo yi huar zhou ke yi le, right? So anyway, that's the... the don't think too much about the R. It's just a pronunciation thing. Most people say it huar, just like, you know, like somebody will say yi diar versus yi dian. You know, the, technically both are correct, but you'll hear people say yi diar more often. Kate Gans on Vocab Unlocked from Guang. For this sentence, 他这个人很光明,这件坏事一定不是他做的。what is why is Jigarin placed after ta? Why not ta han guangming? Right. So usually people will do this. And and first of all, I just want to point out before I mention why people might do this, I just want to point out that we do this in English too. We'll say like, oh, this guy, you know, he's he's uh he's a good dude. This guy, he's a good dude, right? Why do we do that? Well, you know, it's like it's just sort of a convention of speech. You know, why don't we just say he's a good dude? Right, so some I think the question is formulated a little bit. Uh, you know, it's, it, this took me a long time to really get when I was learning Chinese. But you shouldn't question why something is uh, or why something isn't something else. It's fine to ask why it is a certain way, but like at, saying why isn't it? It's like well, the better thing to do is just go. It is this way clearly because this is a Chinese sentence written by a Chinese person. It's clearly okay to say it this way, so it is correct. Now, the question is, is there some difference or whatever? Is it something, you know, but asking why it's not something doesn't like, it's like, there's a million reasons why it's not like, cause there's a million ways that it can be wrong, but there's only so many ways it can be right. Now, here's why people tend to do this. They tend to say, you know, like, ta jigeren, um, that they're trying to get across that. Like, so, so for example, here's an example. I say, uh, right? So, is a, is a place in Chengdu that has uh, a bunch of computers and computer repair shops. But maybe somebody doesn't know about it in Chengdu. They're visiting Chengdu and they don't know about Dianaocheng. And so, by saying, I'm making it clear that the thing I'm talking about that maybe you don't to totally know about is actually a place. 
And remember in Chinese that ta, auditorily speaking, is just the same thing uh, as he, she, or it. They're all the same. It's just all ta, right? So if I say ta zhe you know I'm talking about the it ta. Or if I say ta zhe you know I'm talking about a person, right? I might even say ta zhe because that way you know I'm talking about a guy, right? Because if I just said ta zhe it still could be he or she, right? So uh, I might say ta zhe to be like her, that lady. Um, and so there's that. But then there's also just a little bit of like, because people do this all the time in the language, they go, you know, uh, they just sometimes will say it as a as a convention of speech just because people speak too many words a lot of the time you know they don't they're not people don't speak perfectly efficiently all the time and because they have this habit of saying you know the thing followed by its type of thing you know it's like it's like specific followed by less specific so that you know that the category of thing it falls into. And so this is kind of what people do as a convention of speech. And sometimes that's, that bleeds over into areas where it's unnecessary to do. Like you probably don't need to do it in this sentence, but it still comes up all the time. So, you know, you'll see it. And so that hopefully explains a little bit about it. It's often just an auditory way of indicating to somebody the category of thing that you're talking about. That's the way I like to think of it. So that's it for this week's Mandarin Blueprint podcast. Be sure to head over to mandarinblueprint.com to see what we're doing with the course. There's always new updates. There's always new cool stuff going on. So we'll see you there, and we'll see you on the next podcast.